0: 1 Corinthians 1 through 13. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. You may be seated.
1: Let's pray before we look to the word together. Spirit of God, we pray for understanding, we pray for clarity Pray that you would grant me the opportunity, the ability to declare this glorious truth to your people and edify them. Bring to faith the lost this day, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. The unity and diversity of spiritual gifts. That's the title of the message this morning. Um, As we continue our series in 1 Corinthians, we have arrived at chapter 12, where Paul seeks to answer a question that the Corinthian congregation put to him in a letter concerning spiritual gifts. And friends, this is a matter that Paul um, did not want the Corinthians to be ignorant about. Notice verse 1, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. Now, due to their lack of understanding, there was some serious problems, to say the least, within the church of Corinth. And let me say this at the the outset, um, and such is the case today. When an individual Christian or church does not understand the New Testament teaching concerning spiritual gifts, particularly Paul's instruction in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of this letter, the same kind of problems will be repeated. They have been... And they are being re- repeated, let's say, for the last 60-plus years, for certain, in America, American evangelicalism. So therefore, a proper knowledge, again, a proper knowledge of spiritual gifts is essential for the life and health of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. So chapter 12 here provides us with the nature, purpose, and basic theology of gifts. Chapter 13 emphasizes that love is the motivation with which the gifts operate. And that sets the stage for chapter 14 where Paul deals with the abuses going on within the Corinthian congregation. Because pride was their stride. Pride was the stride of many within the Corinthian congregation, including a super or, or um, hyper spiritual kind of one upmanship. Someone who didn't have certain gifts, they considered suspect. while the truly spiritual ones displayed such things as speaking in tongues. And that seems to be their primary violation of which Paul addresses, as we see throughout chapters 13 and 14. So from out of the gate, Um, Paul puts all of this into proper perspective, showing us that the greatest gift, and let me say again, the greatest gift every single Christian has from the Holy Spirit is not to speak in unknown tongues, but to believe in the heart and speak with the tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the greatest gift That we have. That, my friends, is the evidence of a spirit filled life. That is the proof that one has the fullness of divine blessing. Verse 3b, notice, no one can, that's a word of ability, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one has the ability. Now, we're not talking about merely mouthing those words. Any pagan can say those words. People can mockingly say Jesus is Lord. But what Paul means is the, the confession of the heart. The confession of the heart that Jesus Christ is Lord that involves submission to the Lordship of Christ. That's what he means by that. Romans 8 verse 9 is clear. If you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to Christ, period. And by the way, that verse in Romans is a severe blow to the Pentecostal second blessing theology. Did you hear that? If you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to Christ, An old high school acquaintance of mine tracked me down on the internet and he emailed the church, which means he emailed Ann to send me um, an email. He wrote, Wow, I was happy and excited when I heard that you're a pastor, John. And then he went on to say about himself, he said, I am also a believer. I mean, I wrote him back. I was said, amen, brother. I can't, can you believe we're saved? But he went on to say this. I, I got saved in 1983, but I did not get spirit-filled until the summer of 87. Okay, now what he's referring to is, is he didn't receive tongues, which means babble. He didn't babble until 87, and when I call it babble Because the Bible defines the gift of tongues as the supernatural ability to speak in a real foreign language, again, a real foreign language that the speaker has no knowledge of. It's not ecstatic utterances. Again, tongues is not ecstatic utterances. In verse 2, okay, in verse 2, Paul reminds the Corinthians that the pagan cults that they came out of throughout the city of Corinth practiced so-called inspired speech, babbling, gibberish, in front of their deaf, dumb, and blind idols. Gibberish was a very common practice in paganism. It has been for a long time. They, they would do this ecstatic speech ascribing divinity to pieces of wood and stone. Divinity to a rock bowing down, led like prisoners by the the nose. Consequently, ecstatic speech, says Paul, is no proof whatsoever of the Holy Spirit. Ecstatic speech is no proof of true spirituality. Ecstatic utterances, they are no proof of godliness. So obviously, verse 3a, notice. Therefore, I make known to you, Corinth, no one speaking by the Spirit says Jesus is accursed. Now, whatever was going on in that congregation with this gibberish, it is supposed, that someone stood up and said, Jesus is accursed. He is an, the accursed one. Now, in one sense, did Jesus become a curse for us, beloved? Yes, yes he did. He became a curse for us by dying for our sins. He became a curse by bearing God the Father's wrath while he was on the cross, but he's not an accursed thing. Now, the unbelieving Jews, they said of Jesus that he was a blasphemer that he's not Messiah and therefore an accursed thing. But he is indeed the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied about. He is Messiah who paid the penalty for our sins and he is victor over sin and death. He's conquered sin. He's conquered the grave, and now, Corinthians, and now, Pacific Hope Church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's people ascribe divinity, lordship, and salvation to Jesus Christ alone. No one can declare that but by the Spirit's power and truly believe it. The most important evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to declare, to believe with all your heart, mind, and soul, Jesus is Lord. So here then, the Holy Spirit of God who enables us to confess Jesus is Lord, the greatest ability we have, is also the source of the gifts of the Spirit. He is a corporate gift to the body, right? The spirit of God. He's a corporate gift to the body who also individually bestows gifts throughout the body. And that's what we're after this morning. So in verses 4 through 11, we see that gifts, they're just that, they're gifts. (laughs) Amen? They are gifts of grace. You don't merit spiritual gifts. You don't work for them. You don't pray for them. They are given graciously and they are given freely by the Holy Spirit who is the bestower of gifts according to the will of Christ. They're distributed sovereignly. Not for our edification, but for service one to another. For the glory of God our head. Now, one applicable point at the front end, as we study this lengthy section, chapters 12, 13, and 14, the word of God strengthens his people to do ministry according to one's spiritual gift or gifts. Amen? The word ministers to make those who are already being fruitful already serving faithfully to be even more energetic in their service. So this text will serve to bolster us in continuing to serve as you already do. Whereas on the other hand, God's word also works to call those who have not been using their spiritual gifts as they ought in a pattern of faithful service to do so. And let me say this, you will be delighted that you did on judgment day. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, it's talking to believers, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Good or bad means whether you're a good steward or bad steward. That's why I say you'd be delighted on that day that, that you serve according to your giftedness, whatever that is. Remember Paul's concern about himself? I, do not, I want to run the race and finish so that I'm not disqualified. Context rewards. Because they're all for his glory. Okay, verse four. Now there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit. Now, variety means an allotment, something apportioned. It's just various distributions throughout the body. Um, Gifts is the word charisma. The word grace actually is related to that. It's charisma. So here, the spotlight, friends, is not on the gifts themselves, but on the spirit who bestows the gifts. We see, the same, we see the same word um, in verb form in verse 11. Notice, um, distributing to each one individually as he wills, as he wills. So verse four, now there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit. And this isn't variety you know, in the sense of you know, Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors, but various distributions of the gifts of the Spirit. So the emphasis is on the Spirit working on and working in each person within the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, by the way, undermines and absolutely assaults the mentality of elitism according to giftedness. See, that was the Corinthian problem. Many of them had this this elite view of themselves because of how they were gifted, that is a big bozo no no in the church. Amen? One person remembers Bozo. <laughs> if you grew up in the Chicagoland area, you know who Bozo is. And this is a bozo no no to think that you have some elite gift. This, that's what they were doing. So throughout this section, he says um, to one, this is given, to another, that is given. He bestows the gifts as he pleases. That's why I said you you don't even pray for one particular gift. Now, when Paul talks about the pursuit of spiritual gifts, certain gifts, there's a context to that, okay? That is not, by the way, an imperative. It's not a command. That's an indicative. He's saying this is what you're all doing, okay? Just in case you're thinking that. Context to that. Verse 5. And there are varieties of ministries, but notice the same, the same Lord. So you have gifts, you have ministries, you have services, patterns and function of service, but it's the same spirit, same Lord. Verse 6. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Effects or or operations. This is a word from which we get energetic. Energeia. We get energy, energetic. So we have various outcomes here from the body, but it's the same God who's working all things in all persons. See how it works? There's no jockeying for position. There's no sticking your chest out because he does the gifting. This is like what Paul said back in chapter 3 and verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God, he's the one who brings forth the harvest, amen? This is his work, which means that there is unity in the body while at the same time a diversity of gifts. So we are to be unified and yet diverse at the same time. So God is working in everybody within the new covenant, a diverse people, diverse gifts. The results are diverse all by way of the same Lord. Amen. This takes stress off. I don't have to measure up to him or measure up to her. Just let me exercise my gift as he has distributed these gifts throughout the body. Now, note the reference in verses 4 through 6. Notice, to each of the three persons of the Trinity. Notice, same spirit, same Lord, same God. Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, Jesus, Lord, Second person, God the Father, first person of the Trinity. So within the Trinity, we see unity and diversity. Within the Godhead, there's unity and diversity. One God, eternally existing existing in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Unity, diversity. After all, it was the Father who sent the Son, amen? Amen. The son didn't send the father, the father sent the son. The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 30 days. When Jesus died and was ascended to the right hand of God, the father, he sent the Holy Spirit. Unity in diversity within the Godhead. So then, The the diversity and unity that is found in the church is a mirror of God himself, the Trinity. So there should not be disunity. Diversity in a spirit of unity. So therefore, what is essential for a healthy church is to remember that there is diversity as we maintain unity, because together we are all a royal priesthood, the body of Christ. Men, women, we are a royal priesthood. Every member, therefore, is a minister. Every member is a minister according to the gifts distributed by God's sovereignty under our great high priest. Okay? Now, by the way, This teaching of Paul is not something he's pulling out of thin air. The the entire existence of the gifts of the Holy Spirit has a redemptive historical significance to it. Now, if we go all the way back to the Old Testament in the wilderness wanderings of Israel, in Numbers 11, you'll remember that when Moses gathered 70 men, elders of Israel we read that the Lord came down in a cloud. And what did he do? He took of the spirit that was on Moses and put it, him rather, put him, not it, put him, the spirit, on the 70. And what did they start to do? Prophesy. Remember that? Numbers 11. And then in verse 28 of Numbers 11, Joshua, the longtime attendant of Moses, came to him and he said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. Stop them. Moses said, no, 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 no. Are you jealous for my sake? Oh, would that all of the Lord's people were prophets. All that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. That's what I desire, said Moses to a jealous Joshua. Jealous for Moses' sake? No. Now, that statement was prophetic, wasn't it? A prophetic statement later prophesied by Joel, our Old Testament reading, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. After the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, Joel's prediction comes to pass. When? When? Pentecost, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that fell on every believer, not just a few few spiritual elites. So it's fulfillment. This is the prophetic hope of redemptive history. Every member of the new covenant receives the Holy Spirit of God and are gifted by the Spirit of God, distributed by the Holy Spirit himself. Now, the list... Of gifts that are given here in verses 8 through 11. When we read them, we, we hear a profound echo from that prophecy of Joel, as we will see this morning. Now, Peter, when he preached at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he preached that those words of Joel were fulfilled on that day. Now, remember when the Spirit fell? There were great tongues of fire. There were great tongues. They were speaking in in languages that were not their own. We read that the crowd was bewildered, and they said, are these not Galileans who are speaking? They're like, wait a minute. How is it that we each hear them in our own what? Language, not babbling. We hear them in our own language to which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, And they went on to conclude, man, they must all be drunk. So look what he said in Acts 2. Peter, taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Fulfilled. Right there. Pentecost. Now, over the course of our studies, in chapters 12 to 14, we will address later on the question as to whether signs and wonders and miracles are available today, otherwise known as signs of an apostle, okay? Are they limited, signs of an apostle, are they limited as charismatics claim only by the unbelief of believers, that is, well, you lack faith. That's why you don't have those gifts, okay? Or did the signs of an apostle cease when the apostles ceased to exist? This is not brain surgery, <laughs> amen? amen? Signs of an apostle ceased when the apostles ceased to exist. Now, the various gifts of the Spirit listed here in chapter 12, is not an exhaustive list because we see in other portions of Scripture lists of other gifts. We'll look at these later, but Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. So we'll look at those later. But first, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for what? For what, beloved? The common good. This is the point that Paul is going to hammer away at. It's for the common good of the body. It's not for you to exalt yourself, Corinth. So gifts that the spirit has given, one to some and Another to others are for the common good of Christ's body. It's his body. And they're meant to be instruments of humble love, not pompous pride, as was the case, unfortunately, in Corinth. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Okay, now here we have speaking gifts, okay? Those are speaking gifts, verbalizing wisdom and verbalizing knowledge. Now, the, the word of wisdom here, this is Lagos Sophia, the word of wisdom. And it's, it, it's spoken with regard to um, God's perspective on things, heavenly wisdom, things that the world cannot understand. Many see this as um, a counseling gift, that is, you know, applying God's truth to the problems of life, but uh, I want you to focus in uh, on something other than that. Paul, in chapters 1 and 2, has been using wisdom, okay, as the wisdom of God displayed in Christ crucified. Amen? Look back. Chapter 1, verse 24. But to those who are the cult, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In chapter two, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, that is, worldly wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the wisdom of God. Personified. So the wisdom of Christ crucified is simply the ability to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God that designed, that that planned, that carried out the glorious work of salvation. It's the the glorious reality of the incarnation. It's a miracle. The incarnate Lord comes to earth. He offers his life as our substitute. Raised from the dead the third day. That's wisdom. Wisdom. That's the word of wisdom. Foolishness to the world, amen? That is a foolish concept, a foolish message to a lost and dying world. But to those who are being saved, the scripture says it is the power and wisdom of God. So a word of wisdom. Are you saved? That's the question. Are you saved? Are you saved from God's wrath? Has the wisdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ invaded your heart? Do you believe? Are you able to confess with your mouth, believing from your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord? I submit to him. I've surrendered to him. I'm walking with him. If not, today's the day of salvation. Repent and believe. These are the words of eternal wisdom. Come to Christ and you shall be saved. Second gift listed, notice, it's the word of knowledge, logos gnosis, word of knowledge. This is not, okay, I have, hold on guys, I got a word of knowledge. Um, somebody here today, the Lord's, te- wait a minute. In the name of Jesus, somebody here has back pain which includes everybody over 40. (laughs) Now, this word of knowledge is a word normally used with regard to Christian knowledge. That is speech that has its content in the knowledge of God's word. That is to understand what the word means by what it says. Like our Sunday school class this morning, context is key. What does this verse mean by what it says? The word of knowledge. And it seems to be in line with the gift of teaching that we'll see later in Romans 8. Now, Leon Morris puts it like this, quote, It is spirit-given insight into the mysteries of God associated with the revelation of Jesus Christ, end quote. A word of knowledge. It's connected to teaching. It's connected to preaching. It's connected to spiritual counsel. And let me say this. It's connected by way of function, not role. In other words, it's not merely a gift given to elders who must be able to what? Teach. So men and women throughout the body have this gift. A word of knowledge. It's the exact opposite of paganism. The exact opposite of Gnosticism. What did Gnostics do? They were always in search of secret knowledge. It's the exact opposite of that. A word of knowledge. Verse nine, to another, faith, and again by the same spirit. Now, this is not the faith gifted to each and every believer as regards saving faith. We all have that. We all share that. This is a ministry gift. This is a ministry gift. This is those who are gifted with unshakable faith. This is like George Mueller faith. A missionary who oversaw many um, orphanages, and he never asked for a penny. He trusted that God would deliver by the end of the day, and time after time after time, God delivered That kind of gift. We don't all have that. To some, by the same spirit, this kind of faith. And it's often connected to prayer, by the way. People who have incredible faith are given to prayer. It's Matthew 21. If you ask anything Jesus said, believing, you shall receive it. Amen. Beautiful gift. So they exercise the power of prayer, knowing that the prayer of a righteous man is a powerful and effective thing. It's the prayer of faith, James 5, verses 15 and 16. So uh, this is really the wonderful ministry of faith-filled prayer. They believe. And notice, to another, gifts of healing... By the one spirit. Let me pause and make something absolutely clear. This is not saying gifted healers, okay? Again, not gifted healers, but gifts of healings, and both are plural. Gifts, plural. Healings, plural. Okay? Gifts of healings. Gordon Fee says this, quote, the plural charismata probably suggests not a permanent gift, but as it were, each occurrence as a gift in its own right. End of quote. Are you with me? Did you follow that? Gifts of healings, not gifted healers. He, what he says here is that God may provide gifts of healings, they may come through a person by their prayer fervent prayer, but each occurrence is a gift to the body. For instance, 1996, I'm in a Bible study in someone's home, and one of our people there um, had advanced liver disease. So he asked that we would pray for him. The guy was going to die. He asked that we would pray for him. So we all gathered around him, put our hands on him, prayed for him. Prayed the Lord would heal him. He goes away, goes to the doctor. He comes back. He missed that following week. Comes back two weeks later, and he goes, the doctor gave me a clean bill of health. I'm healed. We said amen. And then he went on to say this. He said, when we gathered together that day and you prayed for me, I could feel John Leader's hand. He's referring to me. I could feel heat coming through his hand as we prayed. Is that the case? Maybe so. Perfect example of gifts of healing. Do I have the gift? Am I a gifted healer? No. No. But what we saw there were gifts of healing on display through God's people who prayed. That's what he's talking about. I've prayed for many people to be healed with just as much faith, and God healed them by taking them to heaven. Amen? Amen. One of which went to heaven on Friday, and I went to see her last Sunday, healed in heaven. This fellow happened to be healed in time and space, who's now healed in heaven. I I think the guy died about a decade later of something else. Gifts of healings. Now, did the apostles themselves heal at will? Did they heal at will? No. Only Jesus did. Even the apostles, signs of an apostle, Paul himself, Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 27 says, I wanted to send a, a, a Epaphroditus to y'all, but he was on his deathbed. Did Paul heal him? No. God graciously lifted him up and he said, and it relieved me too, man. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Timothy, your stomach ailment. He didn't say go to a healing room in El Cajon. He said, take a little wine for your stomach for medicinal purposes. He didn't even heal himself, whatever his thorn in the flesh was. God said, my grace is sufficient, Paul. Friends, anyone who claims to have a healing ministry, they're charlatans, period. Did you catch that? Anyone who claims to heal at will is a charlatan, period. Gifts of healings, plural, operate as the Lord sees fit through his body. People gifted with faith pray fervently for the sick and suffering, and many times they see a restoration through their prayers, but they cannot boast about possessing the gift of healing. Use myself as an example. There are not gifted healers. There are gifts of healings. Those who claim to heal at will guy was at my house not long ago, and this is a question I ask. You mean to tell me that you guys are praying for quadriplegics and they're standing up out of their wheelchairs with, rest- with restored muscular ability and, 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 and bone strength? Is that what you're telling me? You know how they respond? Uh, buh, uh, e, uh, mm, uh. They start to stammer. Gifts of healings, not gifted healers. And by the way, none of them who claim to, get, to heal on command has ever taken me up on the challenge to go over to Rady's Hospital and go room to room to room to little children who have cancer and raise them up. Not one. Gifts of healings. What modern faith healers call miracles have nothing to do with what goes on in the New Testament. Amen? God can and does heal. Anytime he wants, he also can and does allow some of us to be sick and to suffer. Why one and not the other? He doesn't tell us. Why? Because the secret things belong to the Lord. That's why. The secret things belong to the Lord. And, and another thing, complete and total healing of illness and infirmities is promised to everyone who's in Christ. Promised, but not until glory. In this world, you will, you will suffer. You start to die the moment you're born. When you're just starting to live, you start to die. That's a fact. Gifts of healings. Plural. Now, we believe here that God is able to heal. The leadership of the church believes God is able to heal. And God has set forth a provision for that by way of prayer. James 5. If any one of you are sick, which really means uh, uh, like on your deathbed almost, that kind of sickness really, ask the elders. Anytime someone comes here and they ask the elders to gather, lay hands on them, anoint them with oil, uh, we will do that. Sometimes we've seen God's hand move. We had a woman, we prayed for her, laid hands on her. She passed out in my office. Turned out she had brain cancer and did her funeral here, what, last year? Now she's in glory. Sad. It's our loss. That's reality. Reality. Gifts of healings. Okay, verse 10. And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy. So miraculous powers in the New Testament were always in connection to the preaching of the gospel. When there were miraculous healings and so on, the gospel was always attached. The miracle either preceded the preaching of the gospel or it followed the preaching of the gospel. They went hand in hand throughout the book of Acts. Here, prophecy is likely connected to to preaching, probably uh, the Spirit-given insight into the meaning that is of their time to the Old Testament, that is where Christ was hidden in type and shadow, because remember, at that time, the canon was not closed yet. There was no New Testament. So this gift of prophecy, they would literally prophesy with regard to the meaning of the Old Testament, which declared Christ in type and shadow, amen? Amen. Canon's closed now, so now what do we do? We test everything that is said in light of the scriptures. Notice, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, and another, the interpretation of tongues. And here, um, the distinguishing of spirits is determining whether someone is a true prophet or not. In 1 John 4, 1, John advises Christians to rightly discern. Rightly discern to make a proper distinction because there were false prophets swarming about everywhere. Jesus himself told us how to identify false teachers. Matthew chapter 7, right? How do you recognize a false prophet? Well, he goes on to say this is how you rightly judge. You look at a tree, look at its fruit. Good fruit or bad fruit? Bad fruit, bad teacher. Bad fruit, false teacher. Beware of wolves dressed like sheep. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And he says elsewhere, he forewarns that they will exist until he returns. So judge rightly. Is judging good? Yeah, you judge everything that comes out of a mouth of a man or a woman. We test preachers and what they preach and teachers and what they teach with the living word of God. Some people don't like that. We had someone leave this church because they don't like me naming false teachers by name that they enjoy listening to. That is so sad. Test, it's very simple. Test them in light of the word of God. You're all familiar with the the analogy of a bank teller who can immediately detect counterfeit money. Why? Because they're so familiar with real money. It's ingrained within them familiarity with real currency so that when a counterfeit bill surfaces, they recognize it immediately. So people who can distinguish spirits, distinguish false teachers, they have a great gift of discernment. Amen? A great gift. Sometimes folks will come into this church and They visit and they mill around for a few weeks and someone within this body and Oftentimes when people talk to me or with me at the door and they say something that seems a bit off I discern immediately. I'm gonna watch out for this guy Over the years It was pretty much me and one or two other people that had the ability to discern that now Someone came here not long ago. I didn't say anything to our leadership and within three weeks, like five guys came to me and he said, hey, you know, so-and-so that, that, that's been attending here? I go, yeah. He says, you know, I discern there's something not right here. Guess what? They were correct. They were correct. And guess what that person did? They moved on. Now, had they repented, we'd love to keep them, but they move on. That's what we want. They're able to distinguish spirits. They're able to discern there's something false here. There's something not right here. Finally here, the ability to speak in tongues, various kinds of tongues. And incidentally, the word translated tongues, glosaw, is the word rendered languages. Okay? Languages. The spirit-given ability to speak a language that the speaker does not know. It's supernatural. They've never learned that language And therefore, the gift of interpretation of tongues means translation of those languages. It's a complementary gift. And I'll argue as we work our way through that that gift does not normally exist in the church today. Can God do it somewhere down where Ray goes in Africa and all of a sudden he speaks in their native tongue and it's a miracle? Sure he can. Okay, what tongues is not is someone standing up babbling. She wrote in, she wrote in. She wrote in on a Monday. That's gibberish. Does that edify the church in any way? No. So the abuse going on in the Corinthian church seems to be more in line with ecstatic utterances, gibberish, which was part of worshiping pagan false deities that they were bringing into the church of Corinth. And what was included in gibberish? Religious frenzies. Falling into trances, i.e. slain in the spirit. That's the stuff that went on in Corinth and we see it being reproduced to this day. Has no part in the church. Does that edify the body? Somebody getting up and running and doing a holy lap in here. You ever heard of a holy lap? These people are gathering, just somebody all of a sudden just runs around. Glory, glory. <laughs> Guess what you just did? You claim that that's from the Spirit. You just interrupted the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is operating from the pulpit declaring Jesus Christ, the gospel. So you just interrupted the Spirit. Therefore, that was not of the Spirit. I wish I could go preach at some of these churches sometime. Needless to say, we'll see that the Corinthians were enamored with tongues. And they seemingly viewed it as modern charismatics do, is a badge of their elite spirituality. Look at me. Ooh, listen to what I can do. <laughs> Come on. I'd love to be in one of the back rooms one day and say, Come on, you can do it. Speak in the spirit, receive the spirit, and say that. They'll go, Wow. You got the spirit, brother. Please, I don't want any emails from anybody saying, why did you have to pound on the charismatic? Please save it, please. I'm trying to teach you, okay? That's my job. And then in verse 11, Paul summarizes his point about unity and diversity. Once again, notice but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills. All these diverse gifts come from the same Holy Spirit for his glory. Now notice, there are three types of gifts, and we'll look at some more here in a moment, but there are three types of gifts. There are speaking gifts, serving gifts, and miraculous gifts. Our main concern is with the speaking and serving gifts because they're necessary at all times and they're given to this very day. So since these diverse gifts all come from the same source, they should have the same effect, shouldn't they? And what is that? To build up the body of Christ. Speaking gibberish is not going to build up the body of Christ. Look at Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Go ahead. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God. That is his word. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. We all say together, amen. Amen. Every Christian has a gift or gifts to be exercised within the body. The lost need the gospel, amen? There are people gifted to declare the gospel. Believers need to be taught the meaning of the word of God. There are people who are gifted with that ability. There are those who are confused and discouraged on a Sunday or during the week. They need counsel from the Bible. They need encouragement. The suffering, what do they need? Mercy and compassion. The church needs organization. The church needs leadership. The church needs practical helps. The church needs people Uh, in helping to keep up the building, clean the bathrooms, provide hospitality. Amen? Consider the works of service here, Pacific Hope Church. So many faithful servants. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. And this doesn't mean just merely having a good work ethic, but we understand we're gifted by the Spirit and by the power of the Spirit, the power of the risen Lord. We serve for his glory. We serve for the good of one another. And however we're gifted. And we'll see a variety of effects. That's what he's teaching. A variety of effects. One person may come to me and I give them truth. And they're, 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 you know, they're like, okay, I see it. And they're not really encouraged. And then somebody else, three days later, gives them the same truth. And they're incredibly encouraged. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. happens all the time. You all. Encouraging someone on a Sunday morning, praying with them, praying for them, giving them a word of encouragement, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, that is huge ministry right there. The gifts of service, that's a huge ministry. I usually don't see people boasting that, yeah, I have the gift of service. Right? But it's a wonderful gift. The elite in Corinth, at least they viewed themselves as the elite, looked down on those with the gifts of service, the the diakonos, the table servers. Who gives the gifts? God. He distributes the gifts. Now, you're not going to be able to minister to one another if you just run out every Sunday immediately after service, amen? Someone may need encouragement. Someone may need prayer, and so on. And then we see it in operation. I see it all the time, and I hear about it all the time. So application first, okay? First, as we wrap up, as we focused on last week, the first point of application is that it all starts with the common confession, that is, of a regenerated people by the grace of God who enables us to declare, that is, to say and to believe and to trust, Jesus is Lord, Lord. We say it individually, we believe it corporately. Jesus is Lord, because he alone has saved us from our sins. And he's included us within his body. He's the head, we're the body, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is then we can be sure of the second point. It is only then we can be sure of the second point, and that is the gifts of the Spirit are given to enable God's people to serve his church for the common good, verse 7 for the common good, which is the building up of Christ's body. People who have the gift of encouragement, I mean, they're, they're able to, the gift of knowledge, gift of wisdom, providing encouragement, just an incredible gift. It's incredible. It serves the body so well. Gifts of service. My dad, you know, he's always had the gift of service. He would drag us to the church to mow, the. it was huge. And all we had were push mowers, my brother and I on a hill. (laughs) steep Hill, the old Presbyterian church, on the hill. Come on, we're going to serve. No one else was around. No one would see us, except the high school girls came by and go, hi, John Leader. And I'm like, my dad said, are you embarrassed? I remember I was embarrassed. He goes, are you embarrassed? What, because they saw you serving at the church? Is that why you're embarrassed? I'm like, "Uh, I got no comment. (laughs) He was right. And to this day, he serves in the same way, and he's seventy. Seven. It's a gift of the Spirit. Now, some in Corinth were belittling others, as I said. But note this their fascination, the Corinthians' fascination with the spectacular you know, with spiritual powers, with hyper-spirituality, that is the very thing that led them to the so-called apostles of 2 Corinthians 11 who were peddling what? False doctrine. Anytime someone is caught up in the charisma and charismatic movement and hyper-spirituality, you can be sure that they, there's a stranglehold on them with regard to true, solid doctrine. They're usually given to very poor and faulty doctrine. Fact. So every Christian is a recipient of gifts or a gift, and everyone should use it for his glory, not simply to be busy. Amen? So I'm still wrapping up, but you may be thinking, how do you know what your spiritual gift is? Four things quickly. We'll cover this more over the coming weeks. Number one, pray and ask God, who is the giver, to reveal it to you. How about that? He's the giver. Pray. Lord, how have you gifted me? Okay? Number two, don't sit around and wait, but get involved with one another. Okay? Number three, note the areas where you're effective. And where you actually have joy and satisfaction in serving, mark those down. And then finally, ask other people to discern, to evaluate, and to give your, their opinion on how effective you are. Amen? Now, if you're not musically gifted and you can't carry a note, you don't belong up here. Amen? And someone must love you enough to tell you that so that you don't keep going in the wrong direction. You know, the worship leader at Grace Community Church, it's a very large church, I think his name is Clayton, right? Clayton said this, he goes, one of my tasks is to protect the congregation from bad singing. (laughs) Now, they have auditions, you know, because it's a large church, but someone will often come say, I have the gift of this or that, and someone has to be loving enough to say, yeah, you really don't. You might want to go in this direction. I said that to a young man once and he left and he stormed out and he never came back. Yeah? So gift, gifts and action are a picture of Christ that we show one another and we show to the world. And this is what Paul is after. Amen? So the evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in any church is obvious when we think about this in biblical categories. I'll be done in two minutes. You're all wondering, aren't you? No? Would you say keep what? Keep Keep. Okay. No. I'll be done in two minutes. The evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in any church, when we think about it in biblical categories, is something like this: Is the gospel preached? Is the whole counsel of God being preached? Do people in the congregation desire to hear the whole counsel of God preached? Amen. Do people sing joyfully? Amen. Do they faithfully participate in worship? Amen. Are they growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? Amen. Do God's people love one another? Amen. And do we long to see the lost come to saving faith? Amen. That's a church that are using their gifts and are healthy. And practically speaking, when gifts are in operation, the question is, is the coffee made? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> our tables set up when they need to be set up? Amen? That's the gift of the church. Is the church building cleaned and cared for? Amen? Thanks, by the way, to all y'all who come and clean our bathrooms week in and week out and mop the floors and clean up our mess after Sunday and Tuesday and Thursday. Gifts in operation. So let me ask you, where are you serving? Whose life are you speaking into? Because it's a beautiful combination designed um, to reveal Christ when in unity we work and serve with our gifts of diversity for the glory of God and the good of one another. Amen. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for a people who love the word. Thank you for gifts of the spirit. Thank you for Paul's reminder and help us um, to serve one another faithfully as we serve you using our gifts and never looking down upon another because they don't share the same gift. But Lord, help us to serve in humility for the glory of Jesus' name we pray, amen.